0: Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for the wonderful day that we've had thus far, and Lord, we pray now that as we study together, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would instruct us, that you would teach us, and that you would draw us closer to you, Lord, is our prayer, and we ask and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed that things aren't always the way that they appeared to be? For centuries, Scientists, or scientists believe that the earth was the center of the universe and everything, including the sun and the stars, orbited around the earth. And it wasn't until the 1500s that a free-thinking Polish man by the name of Copernicus determined that the earth was actually in motion and that it revolved around the sun. He compared how sailors on a calm sea might experience the illusion of being perfectly still and everything else around them as moving. Copernicus wrote this, he said, In the same way, the motion of the earth can unquestionably produce the impression that the entire universe is rotating. Simply because it appeared that the sun and the stars were moving around the earth didn't mean that they actually were. And friends, just because you have believed something for a long time doesn't mean that it's actually true especially if it's not based upon facts the facts of god's word and friends just because everyone else seems to believe in something doesn't make it true consider the story of the spider aristotle classified the spider as an insect it was known that insects have six legs and for centuries no one questioned the great aristotle And it was commonly just assumed that spiders were insects, and therefore, they had six legs. Well, over 2,100 years later, it was Jean-Baptiste Lamarck who presented the classification of a spider as an arachnid having eight legs. So it took 2,100 years for them to rediscover that truth. So friends, just because something is believed for centuries doesn't make it true. Could it be that a tradition like one of these long-held ideas has slipped into the Christian church? Is it possible that many have accepted falsehood in the place of truth and that very few people today actually question it? Do you think that it's possible that just as in Christ's day, that his church could be setting aside the commandment of God for the traditions of men? A tradition so old that almost no one knows how it was started, a tradition that nearly Almost all Christians accept, thinking that they are following the law, when in fact they're following something of complete human origin. Well, friends, the book of Revelation predicts that in the last days, deceptions would abound, and that Satan would attempt to deceive even the whole world, the Bible says. Let's look at it here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible says, So the great dragon was cast out, that is, he was cast out of heaven, that serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives how much of the world the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him so we see that this that the devil was cast out of heaven and he was cast down to this earth and eventually deceived adam and eve there in the garden and friends he's been deceiving people ever since that's his business the bible calls him the father of Lies. lies But friends, there is one way to not be deceived in these last days, and that is to follow the Word of God. Amen? <clears throat> to study it for yourself and to, to, to memorize it, to, to really understand what you believe from God's Word. We've seen in last, last night's presentation that God has a law of love, and it's called the Ten Commandments. We've seen that His law represents His authority, and we've also seen that His law determines and defines what is right and what is wrong. Now, isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would also attack God's law? Because if Satan can do away with God's law, he could do away with God's authority. And because God's law is the foundation of his government, as a result, humanity would lose its moral compass. But we've seen from our study last night that all of God's Ten Commandments are still applicable for us today they're still important friends and right at the heart of the ten commandments is the fourth commandment which says this remember the sabbath day to keep it holy now isn't it logical that satan the great deceiver would attack the creator god by challenging the sabbath the memorial of his creation people often wonder well who changed the sabbath well friends Certainly God didn't change the Sabbath because the Bible says this in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 for I am the Lord I do not change. Friends God does not change. He has not changed his mind on this issue of the Bible Sabbath. So let's review just a few things that we covered briefly last night. We saw last night that in Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 that God did three things on the seventh day Sabbath. What did he do friends? The Bible says that he blessed the seventh day. It also says that he sanctified, that is, he set it apart as a holy day, a special day for him and his people. And third, he rested from all of his work. We also saw in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, that the Ten Commandments were written with what? Invisible ink? No, it says the finger of God. Amen? It was written with the very finger of God. We also saw that the fourth commandment explicitly tells us to remember the Sabbath day, to do what? To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. We read read in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, where God says, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a what? A A sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So, friends, we saw last night that the Sabbath is a sign between God and His people. And it's been His sign between Him and His people down through the centuries. We also saw in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 that Jesus says, As His custom was, He went to the synagogue on which day? The on the Sabbath day. So, Jesus kept the Bible Sabbath. So, what about His disciples? Did they follow Jesus' example? Well, we read last night in Matthew chapter 24, verse 20, that Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, pray that, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place almost 40 years later. And he said this, he said, pray that your flight may not be on the winter or on which day? day. On the Sabbath day. Friends, he said this because he knew that his disciples would still be keeping the seventh day Sabbath nearly 40 years after the cross. We read in Acts chapter 13 verses 42 and 44 that the Apostle Paul taught a whole city to keep the Bible Sabbath and that even the Gentiles begged that he might preach to them the next Sabbath. So it wasn't just for the Jews. The Gentiles are here begging Paul that he would come back the next Sabbath and continue to preach the word of God to them. We read in in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 that the Lord has a day and it says in revelation 1:10 that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And we saw last night that in Luke chapter 6 verse 5 that the son of man is lord also of the Sabbath day. It says and you can read the same thing in Mark chapter 2 verse 28 as well as Matthew 12:8. So the Sabbath is the Lord's special day. And after seeing all the biblical evidence for why the Sabbath should be kept, we've seen that God the Father did not change the day. He did not change the Sabbath day. And certainly Jesus did not change the Sabbath day. For the Bible says this in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that good news, friends? God is consistent. He is consistent. We may be very inconsistent in this world, right? Sometimes we go up and down. Sometimes we change our minds. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that gives me hope. And I hope that gives you hope as well, because he is trustworthy and reliable. So friends, Jesus wouldn't set up a memorial of creation only to change his mind and remember it on another day instead. He's consistent. So the question is, is who changed the Sabbath? Did the disciples change the Sabbath? Well, the short answer, friends, is that no, they did not. But let's look at some evidence that people use to claim that they did. It's only fair to look at all the evidence, right? Yes. So when you look at the New Testament, there are uh, approximately there are eight first day texts. That is, eight texts that talk about the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Five times it's just mentioned in passing, simply mentioning that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, and with no command um, in any of those verses saying that the Sabbath was being changed from Sabbath to Sunday. Three times. Sunday or the first day is mentioned with extra information that is added. So we're going to look at those texts right now. So the first one that we're going to go to is John chapter 20, verse 19. This takes place right after Jesus died on the cross. It says this, Then the same day then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, And said to them, Peace be with you. As strange as it may seem, friends, some have said that this verse demonstrates that the disciples were together worshiping on Sunday, that it was somehow a church day, and that the Sabbath had already been changed. Some people say that the Sabbath was changed in honor of the resurrection. Now, friends, there is no question that the resurrection is a wonderful thing. Amen? If it wasn't for Jesus dying and rising again, we would be, of all people, the most hopeless, right? As Christians. But we thank God for his death and for his resurrection. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that the Sabbath should be altered or changed because of the resurrection. The disciples were not even gathered on that day because of the resurrection. It says that they were gathering for what? Fear of the Jews. Fear of the Jews. So the disciples reasonably assumed that the Jews were now coming after them as well. They had just crucified Jesus, the Son of God, and now they thought he's going to come for his followers. So there they are. They're gathered in the upper room fearful for their very lives. And friends, I don't think any of them would blame I don't think any of us would blame them for doing so. This gathering had nothing to do with the law being changed. Another common question that comes up uh, regarding 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is uh, is where some people, this is another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where some people say that there was an offering that was collected on Sunday in in a church-type setting. But let's look at what the, the text is actually saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 1, it says this, Paul writes, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So let's pause here. There was a famine that was taking place in Jerusalem. And Paul had already told the church in Galatia, and now he was asking the Corinthians to help support this cause as well, to help support the saints that were suffering in Jerusalem, because they were having a hard time during this famine, and they needed the help. And in verse 2, it says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. So here, Paul isn't telling us to give offerings in church on Sunday. If he was saying that, he would have clearly said that. Uh, He says, let everybody lay something aside. So Paul was saying, put some money aside every week. This, this really has nothing to do with an offering collection being taken up on a Sunday in a church service. He was simply saying, put money aside each week, and uh, after you've had a chance to check out your finances and see how you're doing, put some money aside, and I'll send somebody there, and I don't want to have to take up an offering at that time. You'll have the money ready, and we'll be able to get that money to Jerusalem to help the saints that are struggling during this famine. So friends, it's pretty... Obvious here in 1 Corinthians 16 that he's not talking at all about a new Sabbath day or about, or, or about offerings in church or anything of that sort. In fact, you read this in Acts chapter 18 verse 4. The Bible says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he reasoned in the synagogue, when? Every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks so friends, when Paul was in Corinth, he kept the Sabbath. So do you think that by the time that he would write the church in Corinth and say, by the way, um, go ahead and take up offerings on Sunday, um, that, that really wouldn't make sense, friends. 1 Corinthians can, 16 cannot be used um, to prove that the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. So let's go now to Acts chapter 20. Paul had just traveled from Philippi to Troas, and we read this in Acts 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until when? Until midnight. If you ever thought that I preached a long time, Paul preached much longer. It continues, it says, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. Has that ever happened to you, friends? (laughs) When you're listening to a sermon? He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, friends, there are some lessons here for us. One lesson is, Don't fall asleep in church, amen? (laughs) And some of you may say, well, there's a lesson for you, pastor, and that's don't preach until midnight. And I promise you, I will never do that unless there's an absolute emergency. (laughs) In this story, Paul was essentially on his way to die. He was about to leave and go on this journey. And he knew that he was never going to see these people ever again, probably. And so he gave them everything that he had, and he spoke until midnight. And that's, what, and that's where Eutychus had this unfortunate incident and fell out of the third story of the window there. So when was this happening? It was happening on the first day of the week, and it occurred during the, the dark part of the first day of the week. Now let's think this through together from what we've learned in our seminar thus far. In the Bible... The Sabbath is measured from sunset to sunset. So Paul is actually speaking on the first day of the week, and it's dark. So when would this be? It would be Saturday nights, because the Bible measures days from evening to morning, the first day, evening to morning the second day, evening to morning the third day, etc., all the way through. That's how biblical time is reckoned. So he was preaching on a Saturday night. And afterwards he slept and he ate and now Sunday morning during the daytime he walked 14 miles to a place called Assos where he could catch a ship that would take him to where he needed to go. So friends if Sunday was a new day of worship Paul would have never walked 14 miles on that day. This passage doesn't indicate that Sunday is the new Sabbath day. It indicates very definitely that that's it's not. <laughs> that, that Sunday is not the new Sabbath day. So when it comes to the seventh-day Sabbath, we see that in the Bible there is no mention of any change that took place. Absolutely none. So friends, the disciples didn't change the day because the Bible says in Acts 5.29, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey who? God. God rather than men. So the apostles would have never dared to attempt to change the day from saturday to sunday because they wanted to obey god rather than the teachings of men and jesus gave no teaching that there would be any change in the day of worship so the question then is is if god didn't change the sabbath if jesus didn't change the sabbath if the disciples didn't change the sabbath then who changed the sabbath well friends let's go to the bible to find out here tonight in Revelation chapter 13, we read about a beast that rises up from the sea. And this beast is known as the Antichrist power, which the entire world will follow at the end of time. And uh, this chapter has some really fascinating imagery. Let's look at Revelation 13:1. It says, Then I, John, that is John the Revelator, stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, And on his horns ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name now we see that this beast rises up out of the sea notice that this beast that rises up is also a blasphemous power now in the bible blasphemy occurs when a earthly power or a human being assumes the privileges and prerogatives of god alone for example Jesus was actually accused of blasphemy. Maybe you remember reading about this in the Gospels. It says in John chapter 10, verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself God. But friends, was Jesus being blasphemous? No, he was not. And why? Because he is God. He is God, friends. Let's keep this idea of blasphemy in mind as we continue on. Revelation chapter 13 verse 2 gives us more information about this beast power. It says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now for us to understand what this sea beast is, it becomes important for us to understand the symbols of these different animals. The leopard, the bear, the lion, and the dragon. But in order for us to understand these symbols, it's it's first necessary for us to understand a prophecy in the book of Daniel. Because the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation are linked together. And uh, it's so important to understand them both. So let's go back now to Daniel chapter 7. Here we see the exact same imagery uh, as we see in Revelation chapter 13. And uh, we've seen throughout our series, friends, that Scripture interprets Scripture. Amen? Amen? And that if you come across a text that you don't understand, oftentimes we can go to another text in Scripture that helps make that text more clear. And that's an important part of bible study so here in daniel chapter 7 we see the same imagery as revelation 13. we see a lion we see a bear we see a leopard and a dragon so here in daniel 7 we have a description of a power that would rise up in the early centuries and it's a power that would unite church and states and this religious power would claim god's authority it would claim that it had power to change the very laws of god And tonight we're going to show you from God's word who this power is, where this power arose, and what this power did. And before our meeting is over tonight, you will understand possibly for the very first time in your life what the central issues in this conflict over worship are, and why the Sabbath is so very important to the God of heaven. You will also understand how Sunday came into the Christian church, So, we're going to look at this evidence from the Bible as well as from history. So, let's get into Daniel chapter 7. One night, Daniel, um, the prophet, fell asleep and he had a vision. And the Bible describes this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, how many beasts arose from the sea? four. And are they the same or are they different? They are different from the, the previous one. So the question begs to be asked, what does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? Well, let's look at Daniel chapter 7 verse 17, just a little ways down. It says, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. And then in Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, just a few verses later, it says, Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth. So Daniel sees four beasts that represent four kings or kingdoms. And these four world-ruling kingdoms start in Daniel's day, and they take us all the way down through history, just like we saw in our first presentation on Daniel chapter 2 last weekend. So let's refresh ourselves on this Um, that we looked at already in Daniel chapter 2 King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon dreamed a dream and it was a dream that God had given him and it was a dream of a great image and this image had a head of gold it had chest and arms of silver it had thighs of bronze it had legs of iron and feet of iron mixed with clay and those metals represented we saw in our in our very first presentation that those metals represented Babylon Medo-Persia Greece and Rome And at the feet of iron and clay represented divided Europe. Now in this vision in Daniel chapter 7 that we're looking at here tonight, it's not four metals that you see, it's four beasts. But these four beasts represent the exact same four powers that uh, were represented in Daniel chapter 2. So let's look very carefully now at this first beast. Daniel chapter 7 verse 4 says, The first beast was like a lion. And it had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. Now, when archaeologists were digging in, in Iraq, where ancient Babylon was, they found engravings on the walls that looked like this a lion with eagle's wings. The lion with eagle's wings was a very common, well-known symbol of Babylon. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking of Babylon, wrote this in Jeremiah 4, verse 7. He said, The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of nations is on his way. So here, Jeremiah says that the destroyer of nations, that is Babylon, was coming to destroy Jerusalem. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 13 also says, And his chariots are like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. So people in the ancient world would have known that Babylon was represented by a lion with eagle's wings. This nation of Babylon spread throughout the Mediterranean world. It was a very powerful nation. But then there was another nation that was to come on the scene. Daniel chapter 7 verse 5 says, And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had 3 ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, "Arise, devour much flesh." So now notice the second empire is like a bear that raises itself up on one side. It represents the dual empire of Medo-Persia. The Medes came up first, and then the Persians eventually became the more dominant of the powers, and they had a an alliance there, a dual empire. Now notice what the, bear, what, what the bear has in its mouth. It has three ribs. And these three ribs symbolize something. They symbolize the three powers that would be conquered by the nation of Medo-Persia. When Medo-Persia conquered the world, it first conquered Babylon. Then it went northward and it conquered the nation of Lydia. And then it, con- then it went south and conquered Egypt. So these three nations, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt, represent those three ribs that are there in the bear's mouth. Isn't it amazing, friends, to see how accurate Bible prophecy is? Every little detail is important to notice. Then the third empire rises here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 6. It says, After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. So what nation would follow Medo-Persia? Do you guys remember Greece. from our first night? That's right, Greece. And who was the first leader of the Greeks? Alexander. Alexander the Great. That's right. Through his leadership, Greece conquered the then known world very quickly. And friends, if you wanted to describe uh, if you wanted an animal, uh, if you wanted to describe an animal, um, that moves really fast, what would you choose? Okay, a leopard. There you go. According to the Bible prophecy here, a leopard is what God chose to use to describe an animal that moves very quickly. But if you wanted to describe a super rapid conquest, what would you do with your leopard? You could give him wings. That's right. And that's what God did. So God put wings on this leopard here in Daniel chapter 7 to describe the very rapid conquest of Alexander the Greats. But the question arises, why does the beast have four heads? What's up with that? That's kind of weird. Well, when Alexander the Great died, he had four generals. And his four generals did not want to destroy one another over the empire. And so these four generals made a pact and they decided to not attack each other and not divide up the empire. And their names were Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Isn't it amazing, friends? Bible prophecy is so accurate. Four heads, four generals, four divisions of Greece. Then the Bible describes the fourth empire here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. It says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had how many horns? Ten Ten horns. (laughs) Ten horns. So friends, it is very clear that this fourth beast represents the kingdom of Rome. That is the next major world ruling power that comes on the scene after Greece. And this takes us all the way down to the time period of Jesus Christ. It was a Roman decree that brought Joseph and Mary to the town of Jesus' birth there in Bethlehem. It was Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor who tried Jesus. It was a Roman soldier that nailed Jesus to the cross rome ruled the world in the days of jesus and christianity grew up in the roman empire but the bible describes what would happen to the empire of rome it would collapse in the symbolism of the toes of the image of daniel 2 and the horns of daniel chapter 7 here in this fourth beast the image of daniel 2 had feet and toes of iron and clay representing europe Now, how many toes do most people have (laughs) ten ten. Ten, that's right (laughs) that's that's right and likewise the fourth beast has ten horns and so rome was divided into ten main divisions the barbarian tribes swept across europe swept across the empire pillaging and plundering destroying cities and villages and occupying cities the the barbarian tribes of the anglo-saxons settled in england The Franks settled in the area of France. The Alamanni settled in the area of Germany. And the Ostrogoths settled in the area of Austria. And the other tribes from the north spread throughout the empire, dividing up the territory as we see it today. These divisions are revealed in the ten horns of this beast in Daniel chapter 7. Now, as Daniel viewed the ten horns in vision, he saw something else remarkable arise. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, it says, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them. So in Europe, among these horns, there is another power that arises, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So notice that the Bible says that this little horn arose among the other ten horns. That that is very significant, friends, and that it was different from all the rest. So who is this little horn power that would arise? Let's try and see what the Bible says about this. So the first characteristic of this little horn power is that it arises among the first uh, of the ten horns there. It comes up among the, the ten horns, which means that it comes up in the area of Western Europe. Daniel chapter 7 verse 24 describes the little horn further. It says the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. He shall be the same, different from the first ones and he shall subdue three kings. So when would this little horn arise? Before or after the other horns appear? It would be after, the Bible says. And would it be the same as the first horns or would it be different? That's right, it would be different. So the second characteristic is that it would arise after the ten horns appear on the scene of history. Notice it doesn't come up in the days of Babylon. It doesn't come up in the days of Medo-Persia, Greece, or Rome. It comes up after the fall of the Roman Empire, after Rome has been divided in the barbarian tribes. And that is an important point to remember, friends. And third, the third characteristic is that it is different from all of the other horns. All the other powers that came before it, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, they were political powers. But this little horn power that arises is is different. It is a political and a religious power, but primarily a religious power. Next, the Bible also says that this little horn has eyes like the eyes of a man. Now, what does this represent? Well, to answer that, let me ask another question. Does anybody know what a prophet is sometimes called in the Bible? A seer, a seer that's right. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 9, nine that a prophet was formerly called a seer. That is because the prophet sees with the eyes of God. God reveals things to the prophets. They see the future, what, it, what God has revealed to them. And so the eyes of a man represent not divine wisdom, but human wisdom. So, this little horn power is a human religious system based on man's teachings, not God's teachings, which would rise up out of Rome. So, what would this power do? Notice what the Bible says in Daniel 7 25. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High. Who's the Most High? God. So, this power would speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Who would be the saints? God's people, right? God's people would be the saints. And think this power would think to change times and laws. So friends, this power would attempt to change the very law of God. Now, it's clearly not speaking about something insignificant like tax laws or political laws. Uh, it's, it's obviously speaking about divine laws. Because when one nation follows another, it almost always changes the political laws. Just like we had a, a new president come in and he's, his laws are a little different than the last president right we that, that's very common there's nothing surprising about that but the bible says that this little horn power would speak great words against the most high by by assuming god's prerogative and attempting to change god's divine law now notice the bible doesn't say that it could change those laws it only says that it would think to change them But no earthly power, friends, however mighty it claims to be, could ever actually change God's holy law. Last night we saw that God's law is perfect. It is holy. It is good. But this power would think that it had the the authority to change God's law. And it would actually attempt to change it. So how would this take place? Well, the Bible says in Daniel 8 verse 12 that this little horn power would cast truth to the ground. And he did all this and prospered. So coming up out of the old Roman Empire, a religious power would arise. It would be small at first, but it would become extremely powerful over time. Now I want to hit the pause button here for a moment and say this. I believe that God has always had true people in every church. Amen? Amen. He has true people in every church. Even during the Dark Ages, he had people that were genuinely following him to the best of their ability. People that were live, living up to all the light that God had revealed to them. And friends, I believe that God works with people. The Holy Spirit is working with people. We're all on a journey. Amen? A journey, and God is guiding us into truth. He knows our background. He knows where we came from. He knows the circumstances that we've experienced in this life. And he knows when we are spiritually ready to hear new truths. He knows when we are ready to hear things and when we're not ready to hear And friends, the Holy Spirit always urges us to follow this book. Amen? Amen. He always urges us to follow God's word. That's a very important point, friends. John chapter 16, verse 13 is a promise that we can all claim. It says, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into how much of the truth? truth? All truth. Friends, do you believe this? Amen. Friends, the Holy Spirit wants to guide each one of us. We just need to be willing to follow his leading in our lives. Unfortunately, many have never had an opportunity to come to a seminar like this or hear a Bible study on this topic. But friends, I believe that God is speaking to people in every church and he's drawing people to himself. And if we claim this promise here in John chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit will guide us. Amen. So the question that we are seeking to answer is is how did the change from sabbath to sunday actually occur what happened historically well friends the change of the sabbath occurred gradually over a period of time it resulted in a variety of social and religious factors and what i'm about to share is not not intended to be an attack on anyone or on any religion i'm simply sharing what has happened historically Dr. John Eady helps us to understand the roots of this change in in his Bible encyclopedia on page 561. He says, Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest, Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped what? The sun. sun. Makes sense, right? Sunday is is named after uh, the sun, Okay, Sun worship was very common in all of the ancient societies, in Egypt, in Babylon, in Persia, as well as in Rome. And when you come to the 4th century, the Roman emperor Constantine was also very heavily influenced by sun worship. And Constantine decided that he needed to unite his empire. It was very important to him. But how could he do this? Constantine came up with an idea that he thought was absolutely brilliant why not unite the empire around sunday worship so he did just that and here is the emperor's decree from ad 321 he says on the venerable day of the sun let the magistrates and people residing in the cities do what rest Rest, and let all the shops be closed so here constantine calls sunday the venerable day of the sun and he declares that all shops should be closed so he was so inclined toward the sun god that he even put the sun, uh, an image of the sun god on one, of the, uh, one side of the coins and his picture on the other. That's how ingrained he was in Sunday uh, pagan worship. In the days of Constantine, church and state united in an attempt to Christianize the pagans and also in an attempt to unite the empire. And so the Roman government and the Roman Church united. And here's a statement that is very incredible, friends. It's from March 1994 in the Catholic world, which is a series of volumes much like the Catholic encyclopedias. And it says this. This is what our Catholic friends say. It says, The sun was a foremost God with heathendom. There is, in truth, something royal, something kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the Son of Justice. Hence, the church in these countries would seem to have said, Keep that old pagan name, it shall remain consecrated, sanctified. And thus, the pagan Sunday dedicated to Baldur became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. Do you see how Sunday came into the Christian church, friends? Constantine wanted to unite his empire, and the Roman church leaders wanted to convert the pagans which worshiped on Sunday. And so, to accomplish that, Sunday became the vehicle to accomplish both purposes. And so the biblical Sabbath was changed by the Roman church and state union. God didn't change it. The disciples didn't change it. And Jesus surely did not change it. The Catholic Church Council of Laodicea records the first law against keeping the Bible Sabbath. Look at what the council decreed here in AD 325. It says, Christians shall not Judaize. That is, they shall not keep the Sabbath. And be idle on which day? Saturday. Saturday. So here the church council is saying, we're forbidding Christians to worship, uh, rest on the Sabbath day. They shall work on that day instead. But the Lord's day, it continues, it says, but the Lord's day, that is Sunday in their eyes, they shall especially honor as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. Now, they were, of course, mistaken here on which day is the Lord's day, because we saw last night, and once again here tonight, that which day is the Lord's day? Sabbath. According to the Bible, it is the Sabbath day. The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath day. But they're making a change here in this document, in this council. They're shifting the Lord's day from Sunday to Saturday. Sorry, from Sabbath to Sunday, rather. And this statement is extremely significant for another reason, friends. Some Christian leaders felt that the Sabbath was a Jewish thing, and they wanted to disassociate themselves from the Jews due to an anti-Jewish feeling that was going around the empire. The Jews were very rebellious, and they would, they would constantly revolt against the Romans. They hated the Romans, and so Christians decided to disassociate themselves. The quote continues. It says, If, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out. From Christ. So here is a church council that unites with the Roman government under Constantine and said, We're shifting the authority of the Sabbath to Sunday. And so the change of the Sabbath took place gradually as Christians uh, distanced themselves from the Jews. And eventually, church and state leaders joined hands to unite the empire. Friends, Bible prophecy predicted it, and history has verified it. Now, our Roman Catholic friends for years used to use the Convert's Catechism to instruct people who desire to join the Catholic Church. Listen to what the, cate- the Convert's Catechism says regarding the change of the Sabbath. Question, which day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. So there you have it, friends, right there in the Convert's Catechism. The Catholic Church clearly admits that Saturday is the Bible Sabbath. They openly admit it. So that leads us to the very next logical conclusion. The the next question is, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now, friends, do they have authority to do that? No, No, they do not. Now, let's go on here to the Catholic Encyclopedia. Here it says uh, in Volume 4, Um, And these are some of the most reliable volumes in the Catholic Church, friends. It says here, "The, The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day to the first day of the week, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. Now, notice, friends, that the Sabbath is which commandment? It's the fourth commandment, not the third commandment. So why is it listed as the third commandment in the Catholic Encyclopedia? Well, friends, that is because the commandment on image worship, that is the second commandment, was removed. And the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, was split into two. They removed that commandment, thou shalt not bow down to any graven images, because they wanted to bring in the images of these different pagan deities into the church. So the catholic church admits that the commandments were changed and they're not ashamed of this at all you can go and google it you can see it's very clear very obvious carl keating is one of the foremost catholic lay scholars in the united states today and he wrote a book as a as a challenge to protestants it's called catholicism and fundamentalism he said this on page 38 fundamentalists meet for worship on sunday yet there is no evidence in the bible that corporate worship was to be made on sundays the jewish sabbath or day of rest was of course the jewish sabbath or day of rest was of course saturday it was the catholic church that decided sunday should be the day of worship for christians in honor of the resurrection so this catholic author is reasoning with protestants and he says if you want to go by the bible you should keep the bible sabbath on saturday he argues that if you don't want to go by the Bible, you might as well join the Catholic Church. Now, the central issue regarding the change of the Sabbath is this Does the church have the authority to change God's law? No, it does not. If you accept Sunday, you, ex- you are accepting a day that the church has changed. But you are not going by the Bible, but by man's authority. Here's another quote here from cardinal james gibbons in the book faith of our fathers and friends i'm using so many of these quotes because i want you to see that this is not something that is done in a corner people leading scholars know about this and under many of them understand it cardinal gibbons was one of the foremost catholic scholars during the 19th century and writing in the 1800s he said this he said you you may read the bible from genesis to revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the, re- the religious observance of Saturday. You see, friends, people sometimes say to me, it's just a matter of days. And if and anybody who says it's just a matter of days isn't clear on what the issues actually are. The issues uh, are, more, are more than just a matter of days. The issue is What is your guide? Is it the Bible or is it tradition? The issue is, is does any human church or any human religious leader for whatever reason or motive have the authority to change God's law that was written in stone with God's very own finger? No. No, friends. In Psalm 89, verse 34, God says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So here God says, my covenant I will not break. He won't alter the words that he has given us, friends. So the issue is a matter of authority. In the Toronto Daily Star in October 26, 1949, a Protestant Anglican bishop got up and he shocked the entire Protestant world. He said this. This is what he wrote on the front page of the Toronto Daily Star in 1949. It says, Reverend Philip Carrington, Anglican Archbishop of Quebec, sent local clergymen into a huddle today by saying outright that there was nothing to support Sunday being kept holy. Carrington definitely told a church meeting in this city of straight-laced Protestantism that tradition, not the Bible, made Sunday the day of worship. You see what the issue is, friends? It's not a matter of days, it's a matter of authority. So the issue is, is who is your master? Is it Jesus or is it church leaders? What is the foundation of your faith? Is it the Bible or is it what man says and what man teaches? In the book, Canon and Tradition, page 263, it says this, The authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the scriptures, because the church has, had changed the Sabbath to Sunday, not by command of Christ, but by its own authority. But friends, when you really love Christ, He is your final authority. Amen? Yes. He, his word is your guide. Now there are some things in life that you can say this matters and that doesn't matter. But when it has to do with the law of God written with His own finger, It matters, friends. When it has to do with a prophecy in the book of Daniel, predicting that an earthly power would attempt to change the very law of God, it matters. So what is the basis of authority in spiritual matters? Is it the church or is it God's will, which is revealed in his holy word? Friends, I would much rather follow what God gave to Adam In the Garden of Eden. I would much rather follow what God gave to Moses in the Ten Commandments. I'd much rather follow the example of Jesus. How about you? Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 12 says, moreover I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me between them and me. So here we see that God says that the Sabbath is a special sign between him and his people. It's a sign that that we want to follow God's Word over tradition. It's a sign that we believe that God created our world. Friends, we're living in an age of evolution. But the commandment, the fourth commandment, tells us that God is our creator God. He's the one that made heaven and earth. Amen? Amen? Keeping the Sabbath is a sign that we want to follow all of God's word. And that's why in the last days of earth's history, Revelation 14, 12 says this. It describes God's people. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God, In the faith of Jesus. In the last days of Earth's history, God will have a group of people who love Jesus so much. Amen? Amen. More than anything else. They will love him so much that they choose to obey him. It's more than just a matter of days. In the Garden of Eden, Satan said to Eve, What difference does a tree make? All trees are alike. And Eve lost Eden because she bought into that lie of the devil. And many Christians today are buying into a deception. And sadly, many Christians have never known anything different. Many would accept the Sabbath if only someone had the courage to share it with them. People will sometimes object and they say, Well, what difference does a day make? All days are alike. Well, friends, with God, all days are not alike. One day was blessed by God, according to Genesis 2, 3, and that is the seventh day. One day was sanctified by God, that is made holy, and there was only one day on which God rested, and that's the seventh day Sabbath. The issues that we are dealing with are issues of authority, issues of obedience. So our choice in this matter is the Bible or tradition, Jesus or religious leaders, God's law Or man's dogmas God's instruction or man's teaching God's way or man's way now the question is sometimes asked pastor are you saying that everyone who keeps Sunday is lost and let me be very plain on this issue friends everybody who keeps Sunday is not lost amen Amen. there are many Sunday keeping Christians who love Jesus with all of their hearts and they're living up to all the light that they know. And when they learn more truth, they are willing to follow it. And friends, all over the world, there are tens and thousands of people that are hearing God's word preached, and they are stepping forward to follow the truth. And friends, God is calling out to you and to me tonight. God's word says this in Joshua 24:15: Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to tonight's message. If our ushers could hand out uh, our response card, um, I want to give you an opportunity to, to respond to tonight's message. You've heard different things presented here tonight. Maybe some of you have learned about uh, the Bible Sabbath for the first time. Maybe you're hearing it again. Maybe you found out about this change, uh, that this attempted change of God's law, and this is totally new to you. But you, uh, you want to respond to the message tonight. I want to go through the card with you here that's being passed out. And um, there at the top of the card, it says, It is clear to me that the seventh day of the week, Saturday, is the true Bible Sabbath. If as you've been coming to the presentations here, and that is clear to you, I'd encourage you to check that top box here, friends. If it's clear to you that that the seventh day Sabbath is the Bible Sabbath, please check that top box. The second box says, it is my desire to follow Jesus' commandments rather than the traditions of men. If that's your desire, friends, if you see that, that Jesus has been uh, leading in this, that, that Jesus has made this clear, then, then check that box if it's your desire to follow Jesus over the traditions of men. And third, it says, I want to enjoy all the blessings that keeping God's seventh-day Sabbath can bring. I choose to begin now to keep the seventh day holy as an expression of my love for God and a desire to spend time with Him. If that's your desire, I encourage you to check that third box there. And fourth, I would like to request special prayer for my Sabbath-keeping needs. Maybe some of you... Um, have jobs that require you to work on the seventh day Sabbath, but but you've seen in Scripture that God says, "Remember the Sabbath day. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. In it you shall do no work." And if you've seen that clearly from God's word, and you need prayer, you need prayer that God will help you to be able to get work off on Saturdays on the Bible Sabbath. Friends, we would like to pray for you here. Uh, at Discover Prophecy, we'd like to pray for you that God will open up a door, a window of opportunity for you to either get Sabbath off or to find a new job. Amen? Because God can do that for you. God will provide for us when we step out in faith for him. And that last box says, I would like more reading material on this subject. If you If you just want to know more about this, we want to be able to give you some literature. We have some magazines available that we'll have at the end of this service as well. But if if there are other things you would like, more materials, we'd be happy to get that to you as well, friends. And so if you have that decision card all filled out, just write your name on it and um, hand it out to our our deacons. If our deacons uh, could go ahead and collect that for us, our ushers, I'd appreciate that. Friends, Jesus is calling to us Today, He's calling for us to step out of the crowd and to follow him 100%. He's calling you to follow him all the way. He's calling you to obey him out of love. Friends, keeping the commandments is not about legalism. It's about love. It's about love for God. And he's appealing to us tonight to accept his word and his word alone as the basis for our faith. Would you like to raise your hand tonight and say to Jesus, Jesus, I desire to follow you all the way. Is that your desire, friends? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together here as we close. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for the truth of your word. And Lord, I know that this presentation was a heavy presentation, Lord. There was a lot of material, a lot of history But Lord, it's important because we see that there was a power that attempted to change your holy law. And Lord, we have seen clearly from your word tonight that your law cannot be changed, Father. And we want to follow you. We want to follow the example that you gave us. We want to follow the example that the apostles gave us. We want to to please you, Lord, in these last days. We want to be a part of the people in these last days that follow the Lamb wherever he leads us, Lord. And we've seen from Revelation, Lord, that you will have a people that keep the commandments of God. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with each one of us as we've heard these things presented tonight. Lord, give us the strength, Lord, to make a stand for you. Lord, give us the courage to follow you, Lord, even when it's not popular. Lord, even when the rest of the world may look at us and say, that is weird, that is foolish, Lord, help, help us to stand firm for you, Lord, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm for you in Babylon, just as Daniel stood firm for you, Lord, when the rest of, of, of the, the empire, Lord, was giving in, Lord, he stood faithful to you. And Lord, we want to stand faithful to you in these last days. Lord, the majority has never been on your side. Lord, when, when, when you destroy this world, Lord, with the flood, there was only eight people that got on the ark, Lord, we know that in these last days, deceptions will abound. And Lord, we do not want to be deceived. So Father, I pray for each person here tonight as they've heard these things presented. Lord, may we be like the Bible Bereans. May we go home and check these things out for ourselves. Lord, may we get our questions answered so that we can follow you faithfully in these last days. Lord, bless each one of us and uh, continue to guide us. Lord, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.